born again by the Spirit of God. I'm so thankful that I was born again. I was not born again physically from my mother's womb, but I was born again of the Spirit, spiritually born. So my old father, Grandpa Adam, I was in his race, is now my old father. My new father is now the father, capital F, father of my spirit. I was taken from one family and adopted into a new family with a new papa. I have a new dad and I live in his house where his rules are superseding everything and where his thoughts towards me are all good. I have a father now who's perfect. I had a wonderful earthly father. He was not perfect. I have a heavenly father who's perfect in all of his ways. I had an earthly father who disciplined me as seemed best to him for a time and I respected him for it. But oh, now I have a heavenly father who disciplines me for my good and he never makes mistakes. Aren't you glad to be adopted into his family? Aren't you glad to be a son and a daughter? You've been born again if you're in Christ Jesus. That's a good thing for you and for me. Last week, if you weren't here, I'm going to recap for just a couple of minutes on what we covered. We talked about the Holy Spirit. I'm so glad that I have the God in the Holy Spirit in me. Amen? I'm so glad that I have God, the Holy Spirit, who's my counselor. He's my comforter. He's my advocate. He leads me into all truth. One of the reasons we have the Holy Spirit, a huge reason that I've been given the Holy Spirit that's often neglected in the body of Christ that we don't talk about much is for the killing of sin. And so we talked about this last week and I, and I preached from some notes I got out of a John Owen book, a Puritan writer from hundreds of years ago who talked about the mortification of sin in believers. And he had this phrase, we must always be killing sin or sin will be killing us. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you, he says. And so you remember in 1 Peter chapter 2, Jesus took all of our sins that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. It does not say Jesus took all of our sins that we might die to sins and go to, se- go to heaven. He took our sins that we might die, that we might live here for righteousness and begin eternal life that will continue on forever. So, we jumped off from Romans 8.13. That was the big verse last week. And there was five contingency points throughout that. If, the condition is if you, or if by the Spirit, the means, if by the Spirit, you believers, put to death, that's your duty and your obligation, the misdeeds of the body, and then fifthly comes the promise, you will live. That's the promise. So if over here, then over here. If you by the Spirit put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. It's a promise for us. How do I put to death the misdeeds of the body? I thought I was already dead to sin. I was. Once and for all, I'm dead to sin on the cross of Christ 2,000 years ago. It's a done deal. Now, that was Christ's cross that I was on. What about my cross? Well, my cross is where I die daily to self. Death to sin once, as you remember, death to self every day. Every day, I'm continually being transformed from glory to glory in his image as I embrace my cross and I follow after him. It's the process called sanctification, okay? So we talked about the sword of the spirit. It's called the sword, why? Because we actually take that sword 
into our very old man and put it to death. That's a crazy thought. Things like this. I'm struggling with contentment. I have a lack of contentment for what I have. My big van isn't as cool as Joel Jordan's big van. And I want his. I'm not satisfied with mine. Well, what do I do? I go back to the scripture and I take the sword called Hebrews 13, five through six, and it says this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Because really a lack of contentment that I see from this sword in this verse is that I don't believe God's really for me and I don't believe he's with me right now. And I don't really believe that he's my helper. I think I need to get help for myself. And so I put to death this lack of contentment through the sword of the spirit. And there's multiple examples of this. This is one we shared last week. We talked about the body being like a robot, a good robot and a bad robot. Romans 6 says, once we offered our bodies as slaves to impurity, which leads to wickedness, but now as believers, we offer ourselves as slaves to righteousness that leads to holiness. So we're slaves all the live long day, but one person is a slave to impurity. What does that end up like for us? Well, that ends up in more wickedness. One person is a slave to righteousness. And where does that end up? Holiness. As I was designed to live, be holy as I am holy. You think God struggles with a lack of contentment or not being happy in life? No, God's happy all the time. I want to live like God lives. Why? So I can be a squeaky clean better? No, because I want to live. I want true life. God's life living through me. How does he live? He lives holy and righteous. So we talked about this process of sanctification last week, putting death to sin. Part two this week. Part two, the how. The fulfillment of that fifth part of Romans 8, 13, you will live. How does that get walked out? Or more specifically, how do we submit to the work of the Father, our new Father of our spirits, so that we might live? How do we submit to the Holy Spirit and His work of killing sin in our life that we might live? I was already thinking about this, and then last week I was driving home, and Joanne sent me a text, and she said, hey, what about part two? You jump off on this scripture. I was like, yes, this is great. So here's Joanne's scripture that I'm jumping off from, Romans chapter 6. Go with me to verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves or consider yourselves or reckon yourselves, a counting term, dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. One and done, dead to sin. Therefore, you all who are dead to sin, one and done on Christ's cross, take up your cross daily. I'm filling in some words here. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death in Adam to life in Christ. Offer 
every part of yourself to him as an instrument, as a robot, think with me, as an instrument unto righteousness. I beat my body and I make it my slave. Body, we're going to obey the Lord. We're gonna be an instrument of righteousness. This is the big bada being, verse 14. For sin shall no longer be, or sin does not need to be your master. Whoa. Born again, I've got a new father. But you believers, you can still turn back and let sin be your master again. You don't have to. The jail cell is wide open. Don't have to go to back. Go back to sin as your master. Sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but now you're under grace. We lived under the umbrella of the law in Adam. Now we're under the umbrella of grace. The power of sin is what? Your lack of self-discipline? The power of sin, 1 Corinthians 15 says, is the law. The law is what empowers sin. Because Paul says, I didn't even know what covetousness was, covetousness was until the law says, don't covet. And then every covetous desire came up inside of me. <laughs> it's unbelievable. The law just exacerbates sin. It's like gasoline on the fire. The power of sin is the law. Careful, you who want to live by the law. I promise you, it will stir up more sin. You know, the most legalistic churches in America have the biggest, biggest problem with sexual immorality. True, every single time. Those who rail against the, the, the waywardness of the world and who are legalistic at the core, major, major, major sexual immorality going on. Every time I've seen it. The power of sin is the law, but those led by the Spirit are not under the law, Galatians 5 says. We're living by a higher law, the law of grace, the law of love. So now, we are under grace. Now, grace reigns over us. Count yourself dead. Why? So that sin won't reign in your mortal body, so that you won't offer any part of yourself to sin as a slave. Why? Because sin doesn't need to be your master anymore. Why? Because you're not under the law, under its rule and reign anymore, but you're under grace. He just walks us through that so nicely. Starts with counting yourself dead to sin on Christ's cross. And then we walk out living in holiness. So now under the umbrella of grace, it's reigning over us. What are God's means and methods of training us in this new place called grace. And I've got two for you today that I see in the scriptures. How do we do this? How do we walk this out? Submitting to the father of our spirits and living. Well, God has two ways that he uses. And before I get there, what's he training us unto? What's God who just saved you and me in Christ Jesus for eternity in heaven, what's he training us for on this side, guys? What's his ultimate goal? And it starts with an H and it's not happiness holiness. God's got two methods he's using every day simultaneously on you and on me, and his goal is to get us to walk in holiness. I thought I was holy because of Christ Jesus. Absolutely. And by one sacrifice, he's made perfect forever those who are being made Because I have the holiness of Christ Jesus in me, I can be made holy. 
Don't get caught up in the argument that you have no sin in you anymore. Absolutely, we have indwelling sin in our old man. But in Christ Jesus, I've been washed clean. My spirit is as white as snow, but my mind, my will, and my emotions are still pretty messed up. The Lord's saying, walk with me, follow me. I'm training you unto holiness. There'll be happiness along the way, but God's number one goal for you and me is not happiness. When I got married, I thought it was all about getting my needs met. Turns out, it's taken me 16 or 17 years to figure out that's not. God uses marriage to make me like himself. And she's got to put up with me. And I got to put up with her until we realize, oh, I'm really all about myself. I really want what I want when I want it. Babies help with that too, by the way. You die to yourself and then you find out you live. The less of me, the more of him, that's the way to go. So God's after holiness. Number one, here's the left wing of the bird. Which one's more important for a bird, left or right wing? Uh, Can't fly without either. Here's the left wing, Titus chapter two. We're living under grace, training, good job, unto holiness, for verse 11, for God, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us or trains us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled or sober and upright or righteous and godly lives in this present age, while we look for or while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself, verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Left wing of the bird, what is God's method of training? Well, grace. His grace, read with me through this passage here, his grace offers salvation to all people. All men are invited into this thing called the salvation of the Lord God. He has appeared, it's like he's risen, the sun is risen, he's offered salvation for all people. That's salvation. Next step is sanctification. Grace teaches us to say no and to live righteous lives in this present age. What's next after sanctification? Glorification. We're waiting for his appearing. So it's all there. Grace saves us. Grace sanctifies us. And grace helps us look forward to his appearing. Salvation, sanctification, glorification. Grace is training us like a parent. The the Greek word there is like a holistic word. When I train my kids, it's the entire process, teaching, encouragement, correction. Grace is training us like that. Salvation is to get the right thing in. That's where that word redeem comes from. Look in verse 14. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. He bought us back. He put his life in us. Sanctification is to get the wrong stuff out. And that's where the word in verse 14 is purify. See, he redeemed us and saved us, but he's purifying us now. The right thing in the life of Christ, the wrong things out. Yeah? That's what he's doing. He redeemed us and he's purifying us to be a people all his own. I love that. So grace is teaching us holiness. Look at the three things that we're doing with grace. 
We are denying, number one, we're saying no to ungodliness. We're living, it teaches us to live in this present age, sober, righteous, and godly. And we are looking, we're looking forward to our blessed hope, the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is training us to deny, to live righteously, and to look. By the way, this is what it's going to look like when Jesus comes back. I love this. This is what one author says. Jesus came the first time to save the soul of man, but he comes back the second time to resurrect the body of man. He came the first time to save the individual. He comes the second time to save society. He came the first time to a crucifixion. He comes the second time to a coronation, praise the Lord. He came the first time to a tree, but he comes the second time to a throne. He came the first time in humility. He comes the second time in glory. He came the first time and was judged by man, but he's coming the second time to judge all men. He came the first time to stand before Pilate, but he's coming the second time and Pilate's standing before him. Jesus is coming. The grace of the Lord teaches me to look forward to his coming. It's all about to get summed up in Jesus. I want to be on board with the man and his mission right now. Left wing of the bird. God is using grace to train me unto holiness. Right wing. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Two books over. What else is training me? Start with me in verse four. Pay attention, please. Play, pay, just a few more minutes, guys. Pay attention. In your struggle against sin, y'all believers, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? Proverbs 3, my son, do not make light, don't treat lightly or scorn the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. So submit to or endure hardship as discipline. God's treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, verse nine, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits, our new father, and live? Verse 10, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed, Isaiah 35. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy without holiness, and no one will see the Lord. 
So here we have on this right wing of the bird, Hebrews 12, the author addressing believers who are struggling or fighting the fight against sin. Again, the condemning power of sin has been broken. We've been set free from the condemning power of sin. But he's talking to believers to be set free from the indwelling power of sin. To believers who are aiming at living in a holy way, he says, this should be an encouragement for you. I want to encourage you all believers with what I'm about to say. Your children, if you're disciplined. We submitted to flesh and blood fathers to live so that we would not be animals, saying please and thank you and not peeing on the carpet. I'm glad that my father taught me and trained me. How much more should I submit to the father of my spirits to live now? What does it look like if we submit to our father via his work of the Holy Spirit in disciplining us? Well, verse five, we don't scorn his discipline. Number two, We don't lose heart thinking he's just after us and frustrated and he's picking on us, thinking he hates us. Number three in verse seven, we endure hardship. We stay underneath the weight of it as discipline. And number four, we're trained by it. We allow it to teach us to think differently and act differently. Now, just a quick note here. When I say discipline, all of us, I think, typically go to my kid did something wrong, they sinned, and therefore I disciplined them for it. I want you to think of that word a little bit wider than that because it is wider. The word discipline can mean that, but also discipline can be like you're a Marine and you signed up for boot camp and your drill instructor is treating you kind of badly, but his motive is not to hurt you. His motive is to help you. And so he's saying, I'm gonna discipline you because you signed up for it because I wanna take you higher and deeper and farther than you thought you could go, okay? So discipline is not always about you sinned and now you're getting the staff and you're getting beat with the rod. He's saying, no, discipline is because I love you. I want you to go further than you've ever gone. Don't think that because you're undergoing discipline, it's just a result of your own sin and problems. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. It's a bigger word for us. So why discipline? What is discipline training us unto? Well, in verse 10, in order that we may share in his holiness. And we know in verse 14, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so he says, I want you to, blessed appear in heart for they see God. So we have grace training us into holiness and we have discipline training us into holiness and then we begin to fly. We begin to live by the law of the spirit of life and we're set free from the law of gravity, the law of sin and death. Take away one, you lose it all. You gotta have both. The Lord is working both in your life at the same time. This fulfills for us the promise of you will live. If by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This is how he's helping us put to death the misdeeds of the body. Grace, training us to say no. Discipline, teaching us to walk in holiness. Yeah? Yeah? Amen. Eric Loss. Hey, question. What is the father, the father of your spirit doing right now in you? What means and methods is he working into your heart right now? 
Grace or discipline? Or are they not mutually exclusive? Absolutely they're not. They're working together in tandem all the time. Because Paul was being disciplined when he said, take the thorn away. Three times I cried out. And the Lord said, no. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, the, the story is Paul had discipline happening. I'm not standing here saying he had sinned. This is why I can say Paul was being taken to a higher level of holiness in the Lord. He was walking in a deeper way. Praise the Lord for that. We got some epistles because that thorn wasn't lifted out. He was being disciplined. But in the midst of that discipline, what did he get? Great grace. In the midst of the suffering, guys, great grace is there for you. Do you sense it? Because if you're kicking away the thorn, Tony Evans says, you're kicking away the needle. And the needle's bringing healing into your body. The thorn is like a needle in your arm bringing healing. You say, I don't want that anymore. Well, you just moved the healing away from you. No, no, endure the discipline as sons. Sit underneath it. Let it do its work in you. Embrace the cross. Do we pray for healing? Absolutely we pray for healing. In Jesus' name, I want Kyle Parrish's ear to be completely healed, amen? I want her to hear out of that ear. But as she testified last week, she's like, I wouldn't trade hearing for what the Lord's doing to my family right now. It was a beautiful testimony. Yes, we contend for the healing. And while we wait, we say, you're good. You're doing more in discipline than I could ever imagine. And actually your great grace is just resting on me right now. The Lord's so good. His power is made perfect in our weakness. We embrace that. Paul was being treated as a son. And grace was imparted to him during his time of need. Didn't know what I was gonna preach on fully until this morning. I got done this morning before I came out here writing my last note to this. Five minutes later, I get a text from Brian Pulser. Can't be here today, he's sick. He texted me and Sam and Matt and he said this, I had a dream last night. Has no idea, I haven't talked to him for a week. He has no idea where we're going. I had a dream last night, he says, I was roaming around this property and I was overcome by how good and steady the work of God was progressing. It seems so sweet. He says, in this dream, I strolled onto a piece of the property that had two identical yellow houses about 50 feet apart. They were square, but they were in good shape. They were old. One house was named Suffering, and the other house was named Mercy. Then this man came up, a blonde man, and I knew he intended to try and knock down these houses with a bulldozer. He began driving the dozer, and then I woke up. So he submitted this to Sam and Matt and I, and he said, I had a sense that one of the sources of power in the church is to embrace suffering and to operate in mercy, and that it has been going well in that way, and that the enemy, though, has a plan to try to disrupt that work. Both suffering and mercy, he said, take selfishness away from us, just like our brother said, that constricted place. So I said, praise the Lord. That's the word in season. Suffering, discipline, his grace, his mercy, two identical houses. The Lord says, 
I want you to be delivered from self-focus and selfishness, and this is how I'm helping you do that. Isn't that so good? What's the Lord doing in you right now? What means and methods is he's teaching you to live the spirit-filled life right here and right now? Would you cooperate with him in that? Amen? So Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you would do a deep work in our hearts, God. Teach us to trust your goodness. Oh, you're so good. You're such a good father no matter what comes. I thank you for your word that heals us. It changes our thinking. I just pray, Lord, that we as a church could embrace the suffering and discipline and the grace and mercy that you have for us right now, God. I pray that we as a church, Lord, would grow in grace, God. I pray that we would live as sons, Lord, and not as slaves, Lord. I pray that you would take all that was of flesh and just peel it away and just let the Spirit, what the Spirit said here, remain today. I pray that we could be encouraged by these words, Lord. And I pray that we would walk in holiness, Lord. Thank you. First Peter chapter two, Jesus died. He was a sacrifice for sins that we might die to sins, that we might live to righteousness, Lord. I pray that we would live for righteousness these days, God. Just glorify yourself, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.